Yo, this has been Denim Richards. I thank you so much for taking the time to listen to me talk about a wealth of issues and a wealth of topics of conversation. This is Spoiler Country Podcast, and I really appreciate y'all. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Of the Republic of Spoilerverse. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's Denim Richards, isn't it? It is. And he plays Colby on Yellowstone, and Casey got a chance to sit down and talk to him. But before we go into more than that, I just want to say, you know, last week, Kenrick, when we had, or actually earlier this week, I guess, we yeah. had Josh Gates on and we did the, we actually did the video intro outro for you, for our YouTube channel, because the whole thing's in videos. So everybody listening should go check that out because it's pretty cool. Yeah. And you did your welcome back with the way you're doing it. Yeah. The face you made was priceless. Just go oh, look really? at the face you made when you say, when you go, the, yeah. <laughs> welcome well, back. <laughs> that's probably the face I make every <laughs> single time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it made me laugh, and I had and to pause it when know. I was editing it, and it was great. But It's just a copy of my O face. Yeah. Uh, a dinner which comes on and talks <laughs> to Casey about Yellowstone and about all the stuff that he is doing. They had a really good time. I actually was listening to part of this episode as yeah. they were doing it, because uh, I had I did, I recorded it from my house where they passed through, you know, a lot of technical jargon there, whatever. Right. To pass which we don't it, actually but, need to do, because there's Zoom out there in the world, and right. for some reason, now we, we made that. our life more difficult than we needed it to be. <laughs> I think it was, we got the mix of, hey, we can do this. We could do this thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we don't need to do this thing. <laughs> yeah, right. You know the funniest thing? We figured that out. And I'm like, why don't you just use Zoom? And you're like, I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was, it was was great, right? It's, yeah. it's a good episode. They have a lot of good conversations. They go into some cool places. Casey's really good about getting people to deep dive into like some good, like touch, not, not touchy t- subjects, but like personal yeah. subjects, which is yep. really cool. And uh, this, is no, this is no exception. There you go. Well, why don't we just sit back? Grab a drink, maybe some popcorn, and uh, listen to Denim Richards in his own words. All right, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we will be talking to Denim Richards. Denim is acting alongside huge guys like Kevin Costner and in Jesus Christ, let me start over. <laughs> no problem. Sorry, fumbling through no, my good. notes here. All right, everybody, welcome again into another episode of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we will be talking to Denim Richards. Denim is 
featured on a show alongside Kevin Costner. The show is on the Paramount Network, and it is amazing. You guys, if you haven't checked out Yellowstone yet, do yourselves a favor. Check it out. It's in its third season right now. Denim, how you doing, man? I'm, I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. Super excited to, to have some time to, to talk with you. Dude, I'm stoked. So, okay. I, I'm new to Yellowstone. Mm. And I kind of binged it along with my wife doesn't like anything. And she enjoyed the show. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> but, oh, that's uh, great. Holy smoke, man. It's solid. It's super fun. Yeah. Yeah, very. It's a super, you know, I think Yellowstone for a lot of people, I think it, it's really interesting because like you mentioned in the introduction that, you know, we're in our, you know, our third season, but it really seems like in the third season, it's really picked up its legs, even though it's been a pretty good success, you know, seasons one and two, but I feel like season three, it really just caught fire. And so a lot of people are just kind of coming around to it. And so, yeah, I mean, the show is so fun and it's something that, you know, you don't have a lot of programs on television or even in film that kind of do what we do on, you know, on Yellowstone or at the ranch, if you will. And so it's so exciting to be able to work with livestock and to be on horses and to kind of, you know, just be out in nature and, and then also bringing in that, you know, city element as well. So it's really fun to be on such an amazing show with an amazing cast, but also even more amazing, the fact that we kind of get to be on something that you just don't see on television. And that really sets us apart in that way. And that's really awesome. Oh yeah, certainly unique. And it, when I see you guys do what you do on the show, just through, you know, my being able to talk to other people who, who are in acting and uh, film, they train the crap out of you guys. Anytime <laughs> you guys get on a horse, that is a liability. So they're going to train <laughs> the crap out of you. How has that been? It's, it's been, a, you know, it's really been something amazing. I think this year, even more this year, going into our getting ready to film season four, I think it's been just, you know, ratcheted up a notch, I think, which is really exciting. You know, I think, you know, any time that, you know, with every show that you get on, especially like if you're doing a film, you train for a little bit and then you do the training and then the training usually is gone because now the film is finished. And then even for a television show, you usually like, you don't know how long it's going to go. Everybody hopes that when they get on a show that it will go on, you know, forever, you know. And so this was really this awesome opportunity where every year we feel like we've been able to get, you know, more and more advanced in our, you know, our writing as well as like our roping and, you know, kind of cattle cutting and all these other really exciting things that, you know, you usually wouldn't do, you know, in your everyday life or everyday circumstance, unless you kind of lived on a ranch or unless you're in a rodeo circuit. And the awesome thing about this show is we have so many phenomenal rodeo men that have gone and, you know, won championships and awards and stuff like that. So we really have the best of the best training us. And so being able to kind of be thrown in with them and then be so patient with us and, and learning everything that we're learning, it's, I mean, it really is a once in a lifetime opportunity, but all of us, have just enjoyed the horse process and the training uh, so much because you just, it's like I said, it's just something that you just usually will not get an opportunity to do for such a long period of time. And now that we're going into season four doing it, it's even more exciting because now we're like, okay, we've done this, we've been here. And now they're kind of throwing new things at us, new challenges. So it really is something so exciting to be able to see how we've grown, not only as a, you know, as a show with the audience, but also just as a cast 
with our kind of our, our writing and all of our kind of confidence, you know, with livestock, et cetera. Yeah. You guys have really gone the whole Daniel day Lewis way of immersion into the thing that you are portraying on the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God forbid the show goes by the wayside. You have a career waiting for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a really, you know, it's so cool because, you know, Taylor Sheridan, who, you know, is the one of the creators and, you know, the writer and, and you know, director for especially seasons one and two, you know, who's really the visionary for this whole thing. And, you know, he was so big and so adamant on wanting to make sure that we weren't just kind of like playing cowboy. He wanted us to be as cowboy as you can possibly be. And so because of that, he really threw, you know, and, and Paramount and Viacom, they really threw all of their resources you know, at this show to be able to allow us as actors to be able to get such an immersive experience, you know, with that, because like you said, it's like, you know, usually when you do something like this, it's okay, you'll do it maybe once or twice or, you know, a couple of times. But this is a thing where it's like, no, like, we really want you guys to be the best. Like when, you know, so when the audience is watching it, they never feel like they're watching actors. And, you know, I think that's a testimony to, just the great writing and the great relationship and the great vision that Taylor has been able to have uh, with this show to really say like, look, like, you know, I want, it challenges us, us as artists and as actors to constantly raise our game up, but then also we're also competitive. And so it really creates another like bonding opportunity when you're also adding in this kind of different competition as well, which is really awesome. That's rad, man. So Going into this, you start, you came on the first season, but you weren't like a permanent cast member yet. Right. right. And then they had you come on full time. Mm-hmm. How was that feeling? Like, did you feel like you just nailed something new? What was that like? Well, you know, I think the, I, you know, I'm very big, you know, everything's about seed time and harvest. And, you know, even though I hadn't been made a, a series regular up until last season, or I guess the season three, which everyone is watching right now, you know, I have been in pretty much every single episode except for, I think, two up until that point. So it was really just more of a, an opportunity where, you know, you're in a position for a reason and you have different ways that you can look at any situation that you're put in. You can look at it as a grow, growing opportunity, a learning opportunity. Or you can sit and like have a bad attitude about it and be like, oh, I wish I had more. I wish I was doing this. I wish I was doing that. I decided I wanted to take it as an opportunity to for as a learning opportunity, but also as a way to cultivate myself uh, even more so from the outside in or from the inside out, I should say. And because of that, what it did was it allowed me to kind of sit back and like watch all of these other actors do what they do. The Kevin Costers and Nicole Hausers of the world that have been doing this for so long. And so it really gave me an opportunity that even though I didn't always have a lot of lines to say, I had the opportunity of being able to be in a lot of these different scenes with these different scenarios. So I really had a great opportunity to kind of just sit back and watch. And then, as you know, when the series regular upgrade came, it was just an awesome thing to be, obviously, uh, you know, you have that different feeling of appreciation, but also that added feeling of responsibility, you know, with a show like this, that is, you know, is a hit, it's the number one show on cable. And so when you get to kind of be upgraded in that way, it really is a tremendous blessing and a tremendous opportunity because it's like, it's such a big show. And, you know, that also allows you to know that they also see value in you as well in things going forward. And that's really awesome. 
That's great, man. So on the show, you are like acting alongside some really like big names in the field and people who have been acting since you were a kid. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing you're probably maybe a little bit younger than me, if not the same age. I'm 38. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how is it working with Field of Dreams, dude? Like, yeah. How is it yeah. working with Kevin Gosner? You know, it's a, you know, it's a thing, you know, like you said, you know, Kevin has been doing it for actually longer than I've been alive. And so, you know, it's really something to, you know, have grown up and have seen so many of his different films and, you know, had watched different interviews and things like that. And you never really, I guess, picture a, uh, a world that you would ever be on anything that he would be in just because, you know, we're in such different places in our careers and everything like that. But, you know, again, it's something that has been really an amazing opportunity. I tell people all the time, I really feel like, you know, I gained, you know, 20 years of artistic knowledge and information just by being around such an amazing, you know, cast and amazing directors that have done so many great things. And so being able to kind of see them and kind of watch them in their process and their work and how caring and how giving they are, you know, even at this point in their career. And that's, you know, something with Kevin is that, you know, he has been doing it for so long, but he's still very much a tactician. He loves, you know, he really loves what he does. And, uh, you know, so it's really nice and it's really refreshing to see somebody that has been doing it for so long and won so many awards and has so much prestige to still, you know, dedicate the same amount of precision in his craft this, you know, this late in his career. It's really something awesome to be able to sit back and watch, you know, as a great learning opportunity. That's great, man. Do you mind if I kind of ask you about where you guys are recording? Like where, uh, where you do the, the, not like specifics. I just want to know, like you guys are, are kind of, are you as far out as it looks on the show? Or are you kind of out in the middle of nowhere? We are. We're pretty much like in the middle of Montana. And the only reason why I'm not saying the name is because we've actually oh, had, yeah. um, we've actually like, <laughs> we're having people now that, it's really funny. Like the other day we're training and we're all dry. We're, it's, our, it's the end of our day. And this beautiful couple is, you know, sitting outside of the ranch and we're sitting there and they're like, Oh my gosh. And they're knocking on the doors. And like, want to take pictures. Like we drove all the way up from Texas, you know? Oh, so no. you're like, you know, and so, you know, it's a, it's an awesome thing to see how the show is, but it's also like, especially because of everything else that's going on. It's like, it's the show is really like caught, you know, a major it's kind of a major way but yeah we are you know we're in a very small town you know and it's uh in the middle of montana and you know it's great but it definitely is exactly how you see it on the show with just kind of like hundreds and hundreds of acres of just mountains and plains it's that's exactly what it, it is for the most part like outside of a very it's, small town it's breathtakingly beautiful and the show if the show was didn't have any other you know person in it it would be a just a fabulous like come to montana commercial <laughs> that's like right 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 hour-long episodes of come to montana because it's beautiful yeah um, it's, you know it's very relaxing you know it's a very relaxing place to be and you know especially for you know a lot of us that are in the show you know we we come from big cities and you know that are on the coast and so you know for us it's also a great kind of reset and recharge to kind of have like a little bit of a slower pace as well. 
So it is, it's very calm and it's very beautiful and it's a great, you know, sunrise and sunset to kind of wake up to it, you know, every day while we're filming. That That's actually one thing that I was wanting to ask. This year has been interesting. It's been very interesting. Uh, a lot of crazy stuff happening. A lot of just, it, it is a, a dumpster fire of a mm. year. And you guys are out in the middle of nowhere. Do you feel a little more detached from the news, from the world while you're out there? Is it? I think the best way I could answer that, not to cut you off, the best way oh, no, um, no, no, no. I, I could answer that is probably like a little bit more detached. Yes and no. I mean, we still have, you know, we still have these, you know, very strict protocols that we, you know, that we have to go through. It's not that we were able just, you know, just to like kind of come to Montana and then, you know, kind of just like do what we usually would do. You know, we, we are all getting, you know, tested three times, a, three times a week, you know, and, you know, have to have, you know, the distancing and all these other things. And, you know, we're not going out to like the bars and to the restaurants and all of these other things. So, you know, it really is it, as much as, yes, you are probably more detached from the world as far as the influx of information that's kind of coming in that you're kind of plugged into all the time yes but as opposed to feeling like you've somehow escaped everything that's going on you know no you know but this is the thing it's like you know it, we're one of the only productions that have been able to actually ramp up and get back to work and so you know we really put in a lot of protocols to make sure that you know we weren't only following these guidelines but also going like kind of up and beyond the call of duty you know, to ensure that everybody feels comfortable and safe and protected, you know, so we, like I said, we're, you know, we're doing all of those things. So, you know, it's great to be able to kind of be out in more space and kind of be around people you've been working with for the last several years, but it's not necessarily like you get a kind of a, a total unplug because, you know, every time you're getting tested, you have a good, <laughs> you have a good reminder about the times that we're in. That's, that's good that they're being, you know, responsible to you guys mm -hmm. and and with you guys because that's it's a scary thing where i'm at right now it's the rates of infection are way too high and mm -hmm. it's it's pretty disturbing i have two small children and uh, we're keeping them out of school because mm, right you know, that's just a choice we're making so yeah, you know, everyone's got to do you know what's, what's best for them and you know this show you know with viacom and paramount they've done you know, a really great job, like I said, of just making sure that they're following all these protocols and make sure that, you know, not only the cast, but the crew has been, you know, safe. And, you know, we're kind of what we call like the Yellowstone bubble, if you will, where it's pretty much like, you know, we do that and then we just all go home at, you know, at the end. And that's pretty much like we go to work. And, you know, so, and again, like when you're implementing these, you know, getting tested three times a week and all these other things, you know, you feel, you know, really, uh, you feel pretty confident, I guess, if you if you would say, you know, so, you know, it, it, they're doing everything that they need to do. And so, you know, we're also just very thankful to be able to be working um, as so many people, you know, in this country right now during this time are not able to have that opportunity to do that. So, you know, we, we really are in a very unique situation, but we know we definitely don't take it lightly and we definitely don't take for granted the fact that we actually are able to go back to work. That's awesome. Hey, can we talk about Chickasaw Rancher? Yeah, absolutely. So th this film, it, it intrigues me. It looks amazing. 
And it's doing one thing that I think is really important, especially Mm -hmm. now. It's talking about people that are often very much overlooked in regards to American history. Mm -hmm. There has been the myth of the American West and the actual history of the American West cannot be more dissimilar. Specifically, the the inclusion of African Americans Mm -hmm. in the West. I mean, Mm -hmm. they were cowboys. They were all out there. Yeah, and it's they've been permanently, purposefully erased mm-hmm. from history in this bullcrap. So, mm-hmm. how was your experience kind of writing that wrong? Well, you know, uh, I think it, it, it's you know, Chickasaw ranchers, like you said, it's something where you know we're not only talking about the you know African Americans, but also the you know the na- the quote unquote Native Americans, you know, and the op- you know the opportunity to play. Um, a character that actually lived and breathed was, you know, even better. But like you said, you know, kind of backtracking for a second, like, yeah, you know, I think that's one of the things that's is always so fascinating. You know, so many of the things that, you know, cowboys have gotten today from, you know, rodeos and things like that have come from people like, you know, Bill Pickett and all of these other great, you know, men of color that have kind of championed these different things. And that was what we did. We did that in every country that we were in. We, you know, we cowboyed and we were on the land and we did the cattle. We did those things, you know, naturally no different than, you know, the quote unquote Native Americans that were here, which are just people that were here first. And, you know, so being able to be a part of a a film that really um, gets to talk about the depths of what that is and the relationship between the African-American community, as well as the Native American community and how they came together and had worked and so much of our history is very much the same in so many, uh, in so many ways, really. And so, you know, I think it's always been a thing for me as an artist that anytime I have the opportunity to be a part of anything, I hope that it's, you know, not only entertaining, but educational and edifying. And as for me, that's something that I kind of really want to hang my artistry on. I think it's a beautiful thing that when you're able to get in, into a, a mode where you can really talk about things that most people either don't know about or have just decided that they don't feel it is necessary for them to know about it. And when you're able to do a kind of in a mode of entertainment, I think it kind of breaks a lot of people's like cognitive dissonance and allows them to kind of be entertained, but then also educated. And I think that's awesome to be able to do that. And so Chickasaw Rancher really has a great opportunity to also kind of merge, you know, those three things of, of, you know, entertainment, education and being edifying. Yeah, yeah. And it's you you got to act alongside some really interesting people. Dermot Mulroney is an amazing actor and. You, you worked alongside a lot of Native American actors and actresses in, in this yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Martin Sesmeyer, who played Montford T. Johnson, you know, a great, you know, just a great actor. And, you know, even, you know, and within the community, you know, and I think that's the that's the thing is like, you know, you're not, you know, we're filming it and we filmed it in, you know, Sofer, Oklahoma, which has a, a big, you know, a, a giant, you know, Native American community and, place there with you know with the Chickasaw Nation that you know financed and produced this thing and so it really was awesome to kind of even for me you know as much information that I had kind of known already just to even be a part of it and to be around so many beautiful people and to learn more about you know their culture and their heritage and then also how you know the culture that I have in for my heritage and for my history 
how they were so, you know, interconnected was so awesome. And I think really just helped build the bond, especially for, you know, Martin and myself, who, like I said, plays Montford T. Johnson, and I play the character Jack Brown. And then Jack Brown went on to be Oklahoma's first um, sharecropper. And so, you know, it really was an awesome experience because you kind of get to kill, you know, two birds with one stone. Like I was also um, extremely educated. And then I had the opportunity to, you know, to also learn from others, but then also be able to pour what I knew from my history into that as well. And I think it's a kind of a win. That's awesome. I, I just realized that Monster Martin Sensmeyer is the actor who was in Magnificent Seven. And yeah. he, has, he was yeah. such a badass in that movie. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Excellent. You know, and like I said, just another great artist, another great actor. And, you know, like I said, to be able to play and to be able to kind of see and kind of really kind of put in the spotlight in the forefront, these kind of, you know, these different uh, cultures and hi- parts of history that usually kind of get overlooked and to kind of put them at the forefront and make that the star is really awesome. And hopefully there'll be more and more kind of films and television that will really accentuate that going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get into acting in the first place? What well, was this something you went to school for or uh, just something you pursued outside of, you know, you, you just started to go into auditions. How, how did you break in? I mean, I, it, like every road, I think, you know, I was, you know, I was, I think my first real kind of time being on stage, I was uh, in kindergarten and, you know, you do like those really like crappy plays and I think we were doing like, it was like, we had these like assemblies that we would have every Friday and, you know, the kids and the parents and the teachers would join this assembly if the parents could make it. And, you know, I was like told like, okay, you're going to wear this sign. You walk up to the front of the stage. And then when I saw everybody there, I was like, well, I can't just like walk up to the front of the stage. Like there's all these people here. And in my head, I had just kind of decided that they were all there to see me. And, you know, and you start kind of showing out and showing off and people are laughing. Teacher wasn't too happy about it. But then after that, they had gone to my parents and they were like, you know, hey, like, you know, your son, you know, is is really he's got a lot of energy and he's really excited. You know, how would he like to sing in this assembly that we have coming up? And uh, there'll be a couple hundred people there. And so they're like, yeah, great. And so I was like, and I love that. And so I went and I sang in front of these couple hundred people and just seeing the smiles on their faces. I was like, man, like, this is all I want to do. You know, and I was like six or seven years old when that happened. And then, you know, after that, I just kind of was always I was just like, you know, I I was doing plays and then I got into musical theater and then I was doing a lot of musical theater for a long time. And then after that, I was like, you know, I really, you know, I really want to do this, you know, television and film thing. And that was, you know, a very long process. It took me a long time to be able to kind of figure out how to change between the musical theater and the and the theatrical actor into more television and film uh acting and so you know it was really just the thing where you know you just have to stay after it but i always knew um what i wanted to do so i was like you know even when i was in school it was like like how come you're not paying attention i was like well i'm, I'm gonna be an actor like i don't i'm thinking about other things and so like during that time though i was like i did train i trained a lot you know i trained as an opera singer and i trained you know, and I was just constantly in voice lessons and doing this because I always knew, you know, in my spirit that no matter what I did, it was going to be in the mode of, you know, sing, either singing or acting. It was going to be one of those two. And so, you know, I just got very, I just stayed at it and you just keep digging. And then, you know, one thing kind of leads into another, you know, and, and here we are. At what point did you realize that, oh, oh yeah, this is a viable thing. I'm making it and it's, it's going to be all right. 
Oh man, I I think that after I did, I had done, I started doing, you know, well, I was doing musical theater for a long time, like I said, and that was the thing where it was like, okay, are you going to move to New York and kind of do the Broadway thing? Are you going to travel on tour? Like, what is it that you're going to do? And so then I was able to, you know, I was auditioning still for television and stuff like that. And I was, you know, I was singing on a couple of shows here and there, but like, you know, nothing was really hitting. And I think that like, I had a year where I had done like, a couple of short films and booked like one of my first national commercials. And then I had booked Chickasaw Rancho, which was my first co-starring, which was like my first co-starring film. And then after I kind of got a taste of that and kind of just the way I felt like I was like on set every single month for like nine months out of the year. And I was like, okay, like this is all I want to do. And if I can just kind of figure my way around this, I think that it could be really good. And then you know, then Yellowstone came about. And then because Yellowstone, then, you know, it started leading into all these other things and other opportunities. So it really was for me about like, not necessarily looking so far into the future, because you have enough things that you have to deal with today. But it was just about being able to say, okay, whatever opportunity you get, just maximize that opportunity. And if it's for you, then it'll be for you tomorrow. And that kind of really was something that I just kind of stuck with. And that's still been to this day about you know, just anything that you get, you never know what it is that you're getting, what that's going to turn into, right? If you hand somebody an acorn, you look at it, it seems small and insignificant, but you give it time, you give it cultivation, then all of a sudden it turns into an oak tree. So, you know, it really is kind of an allegory and a parable of you just never know what is going to be the thing that makes you hit. It's just about how much can you, whatever you get, how much of it are you willing to to pour into it? How much cultivating are you willing to do that seed time and harvest within that seed time and harvest? There's the plowing and there's the sweat and there's the tears and there's the frustration, but how much more you enjoy the harvest because you now understand what it takes to kind of get there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a great deal of this, this not just running out and, and getting, it's also sacrificing to get Yeah, um, yeah anytime yeah. You're, you're in uh, entertainment. So, right. right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of sacrifice and, you know, there's, you have to be willing to, at a certain point, you have to get something that you never had. You also have to be willing to do things you've never done. And that doesn't mean compromising yourself morality wise. It just means that when things are, you know, you have, sometimes it's like for anybody, if you want to, you know, if you want to have abs, right. It's like, okay, well I have, that means I can't just say that I want to have abs. I actually have to like do sit-ups and change my diet. You know what I mean? Like there's things that you have to change outside of you just saying, oh, I just want to have that and then imagining it in your head because regardless of anything, bills still exist and all these other things. So that becomes a great motivator as well to kind of be like, you know, to go out. And I mean, look, I've had, I've heard no's hundreds and hundreds of times, you know, and that's always, it's always a thing that like, you know, this industry really will keep you very humble because, you know, you could be on this wave and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is for me. And then you go in there like, I didn't get that. How? You know, but it's just, again, it's just, you just kind of have to keep your hand on the plow and just keep going forward. So next audition you do, you're going to be one of the few people that aren't lying on the thing where it asks if you can ride horses. Right. <laughs> That's yeah, no, just an no, observation yeah. I made. The, yeah. The, the one thing that I definitely would never have to lie about <laughs> is the horse thing. That's something that uh, there's a lot of footage. So I feel very confident <laughs> about that. Yeah. Very confident. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just out of curiosity i mean they as my football coach would say they drive your dick in the dirt while they train you on that stuff did you take any major spills while you were training any close calls anything like that 
You know, I haven't had any like spills yet, and I say yet because you know, if you ask any, if you ask anybody that rides all the time, any cowboy, they say it's not if but when. But you just yeah. hope that it's not as bad, you know. But the thing is, it's like you know, they're they're they've trained us so well, and they never have us do anything that we're not comfortable with. It's kind of always us. It's yeah, let's just do more and more. And then when we see the the guys that are like coming off of the rodeo circuit, they're coming in and doing cool stuff. Like we want to do that. You know, we become kind of like little children that just want to do everything. <laughs> and so, you know, it's a great thing because, you know, they have really like we've gotten better. Taylor has also like kind of raised the stakes as well to give us another challenge. So it's not like we just kind of come in year to year, just like, oh, yeah, we got this. It's like, oh, no, like there's more this year than there was last year. And that's really kind of awesome because it is it's like we kind of go through like use a football analogy, like we go to, you know, through like a training camp. You know, and so like every year it's like, yeah, we have your off season and then it's time to get back into to, to cowboy shape, if you will, and get back to being on a horse and get back to doing all these other things. So you got to go to the training camp. And oftentimes the training camp is in the summer and it's hot and it's tiring, but it's like, this is what it is. You know, so we really kind of embrace that because, like I said, we're all very competitive for the most part. So we kind of just put on that kind of sports because we all for the most part, we all played sports. So we kind of get that. And it just kind of adds to the different level. And like I said, in the beginning, it's just a different bonding opportunity. But, you know, so far, no crazy accidents and no spills as of yet. That's good. I'm knocking on wood for you right now. Can, can you tell me a little bit about Laser Focus Productions? Yeah. So Laser Focus Productions was my production company that I started a couple years ago in 2012, because I wanted to I really wanted to kind of create stories that were like done by the, like my, the minority community. I thought that it was something that we had so many, like you, you touched on it earlier. We have so many st- amazing stories that have just kind of been uh, washed out of history. And it was the thing that I wanted to do. And then that kind of, I kind of graduated that name and now it's opulent artist, And which is fine. Cause it's like, it's just something where I wanted to have something that was also edifying because laser focus productions was something about like anything that you focus on, you can get. And as I kind of grew as an artist, I also was like, there's other things about the opulence of information and the opulence of education. And so much of my artistry and so many of the things that I have found so much interest in has been things that are educational. And so because of that, that's where kind of this whole production aspect came. And then that led me into wanting to do writing and wanting to kind of dabble in the directing. And so it's really been a kind of an awesome thing because as I have kind of grown as a man, but also as an artist, also my kind of the things that I've wanted and want out of my career have also kind of changed as well from like, oh, I just want to do this. And then it's like, as you grow and get different experiences, you kind of evolve, your mind evolves, your spirit evolves. And so then you kind of evolve with that. And so it's really been kind of an awesome journey to be a part. Of. But yeah, so uh, you're you started this thing in 2012, and you're is that the is that the the who who you did the forgotten ones in the zoo under opulent yeah, artists? Uh, so so um, opulent artists, and then we have a merger of a production company called Truth Be Told Productions, and this was a great it was a great thing because it's exactly like the name sounds, Truth Be Told, where you know we're telling stories about you know, the, the history of, you know, these, we really, like I said, it's like, it's been so much of what I think what's so interesting about life in general is like the more that you dig and the more that you look, the more you realize you don't know anything, <laughs> you know? And it's really funny because you're like, you yeah, get to a point yeah. to where you're like, oh yeah, 
I know everything about this topic. And then you start to like dig and really spend time doing the research outside of just like the surface level. And you're like, I don't know anything. <laughs> like, I have no idea. So, you know, that was something. So we all kind of came together and created this production company called Truth Be Told, where it was like, look, we were going to we're going to tell these historical stories, um, these great stories that these people that would never really get an opportunity to have their voice told. And so our first our first production that we did was The Zoo. I mean, that was our first short film, which is now being developed into a limited series. We also have a feature film version of it, but we're also doing that as a limited series as well. So, you know, we're really, you know, put on the gas pedal with these kind of very unique stories that get to, you know, where we get to tell our stories in the way that we would like to have them represented in their true context. And so I'm really excited to be able to be a part of something like that. that that's awesome. So... Yeah, I, one thing that really piqued my interest was was your wanting to go to history for for your movies, especially the zoo. When I was in college, my, I, I majored in history and did nothing with it. But one of the first textbooks I had for a history class was "Lies My Teacher Told Me," and mm-hmm. it's basically talking about how American textbooks, American schooling, everything is Eurocentric and um, mythologized mm-hmm. views of American history. By, mm-hmm. It's by James W. Lowen. He's a sociologist. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, you, you realize how much you've been lied to, how many uh, things you've been told falsely to help mm-hmm. propagate a narrative. Mm-hmm. And it's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But because you don't want to think that Miss Smith in fourth grade lied to you on purpose. Right. <laughs> right. 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 It, and it, yeah, it's a hard, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? It's shocking at the kind of, uh, at the basic level. It's just like, you look at it, you're like, what, like, what part of my schooling was truthful, right? Like outside of two plus two equals four, like what else was true? And it is, it's been a very, it's a very Eurocentric, you know, kind of form of history. And it kind of adds to that, you know, exceptionalism, you know, that's propagated. And I think that's a, it's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. You know what I mean? And I think that's a, that's a thing that, you know, is my, I, well, I always say for, for the people that have a hard time hearing that, imagine the people that know that it's not true, how they feel. Yeah. You know, like imagine having their history completely whitewashed away or white uh, washed away completely. And then no, you're looking the right at word. it, yeah. <laughs> right? Like you're looking at it. Oh no. I mean, it's definitely whitewashed. Like that's what it's called. Like it's called the whitewashing. And so you look at it and you're like, I mean, I get that it's hard to kind of acknowledge that, but like also like imagine how our grandparents feel or our great grandparents feel when it was pretty much like they just didn't exist. Or if they did exist, they existed in this very, very characterized version of themselves um, that couldn't be further from the truth. And so it's really for me started in 2012 with doing this history. That's kind of what took me down that hole was like, man, if I, if this had happened, what else don't I know? And then it just kind of leads you like more and more. And then you're just like, oh my gosh, like pretty much everything. Like, and and it's that thing where it's like, you have to like unlearn all the things that you've learned and kind of rebuild your structure on something new. And for so many people that can be very difficult because we've all been kind of trained in the same system, um, depending on how far you decided to go on with your education. But at the core, we all kind of know the same things. And so you know, it's been something that's been a very interesting journey for me, kind of discovering more about my own history and my own heritage. But then also just the fact of knowing how much like my ancestors and our great great grandparents endured. And there's been no acknowledgement just at all. It's just like it just didn't exist. Or we did them a favor by doing what we did. Right. And yeah. it's like 
it's it's all of those things that it's like no it doesn't work like that you know and it's always funny because if it's like well it doesn't really matter and it's like well if it doesn't matter then why can't we just tell the truth about it right like yeah, it's why like, are you it's, it under it's, the rug it's always just two sides of the problem when it's like okay what you're saying isn't true and then you show them and it's like okay it is true <laughs> but it doesn't matter it's like but if it doesn't matter then why can't we just tell the truth from version it's like uh, uh, just I don't know. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, and so it becomes this very interesting narrative where, you know, it, it's great because I think for myself, you know, being able to use entertainment as that mode um, and as that medium of, of education, I think is a great opportunity to be able to kind of, you know, reteach, but also even more for myself and for our next generation of, you know, men and women of color and these children of color to understand what their history truly is and that their history didn't just start in 1619 during the transatlantic slave trade in Jamestown, Virginia, that wasn't when you guys just were created. And so yes. I think this is a narrative that's so propagated all, all, like all, often and consistently. And I think what that's done on the mental psyche of the community is it makes you feel like you're not worth anything. And it, for a lot of people, they're like, oh, no, that's not true. And it's like, well, no, because when everybody else, especially if you're here, you know, if you're, I guess, uh, if you're white in America, right, and you say, like, oh, what's your history? You say Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. You have these stories of conquerors that have done these great things, monuments and all these other things. And you say, well, OK, black people, what about your history? And for the most part, they're like, we had Jamestown, Virginia, where we were here on slave, like we were slaves. Right. And yeah. so it makes you feel one you want to disconnect yourself from that when in reality there was a whole set of different uh, set of history that was going on way before you were brought over here on these ships and so it's kind of like this giant disconnect so for me part of my i think my opportunity and part of my blessing in doing what i do is being able to not only use my platform to just be an artist but it's also to use it to educate and to talk about the things that most people don't really want to sit down at in a at a political arena and have a conversation about. So just put it in a form of entertainment where they can be entertained, but then also get educated at the same time. Then you kind of get maybe, you know, hopefully a win-win. It's, it's a spoonful of sugar with the medicine. Right. It, it right, helps everything exactly. go down easy. And exactly. Uh, exactly. The, yeah. So exactly. can you tell us a little bit about, about the zoo? Because it, it looks fascinating. Yeah. Um, so the zoo, <laughs> The zoo talks about, essentially, it talks about Black people and the Black experience during the, the Nazi Germany. And what most people don't know is that there was, yes, there was, you know, the concentration camps and everything that were going on that were happening. But there was also something that was happening in a completely different continent, which was in Africa. And during that time, it was the pillaging of Africa. And during that, during yep. this time, they, you were getting all of these European countries as well as the, the United States that were going into all these different fa all these different countries in Africa and taking the gold and the minerals and the, the silver and the cocoa rubber. and all these other things and taking into in rubber. Yeah. And so, for instance, you know, like for, for Belgium, right, you know that King Leopold, you know, he went into Congo and he murdered 10 to 15 million Congolese men, women and children for the rubber and took it back to Belgium, sold it. And that's how he built his kingdom. That's how he built the castles. And that's how he built everything was by going in there and murdering 10 and 15 million Congolese men, women and children, and then burning all the documentation, burning all the books that were documenting all that after he was done pillaging everything. And so one of the things that was also happening was that while these different European countries were going in there, 
they were having a really difficult time dealing with the climate and dealing with the heat and dealing with kind of just the different plants and all these different things. So what they would do is that they would capture black people and they would put them in cages and they would test on them and they would experiment on them. So they would dunk them in cold water. They would use heat lamps on them. They would inject different diseases, a la like we had in America, the Tuskegee Project. Um, and they yeah. would, cut, you know, they would cut them open and put different things in their skin and see. And they was they were used as guinea pigs to see if they could somehow break some type of genetic code so that they could then translate it to their people and be like, okay, we got it. Now we can go in and fully conquer everything. And so the zoo talks about that relationship with this hand, this handful of black men that have been taken and captured um, and are now getting experimented on what their relationship is to one another, as well as the relationship to the doctor that is testing on them. And so that is one of the things that the zoo talks about. It's also a double entendre because here in the United States, as well as also in Europe, all the way until I believe the 50s, um, may, might even have been until the early 60s, they actually had physical zoos where you they would take black people and put them in cages and put them behind, you know, tall glass and X, Y, and Z. And they would have them, you know, recreate what it would be like in an African environment. And people could go and buy tickets and just watch them interact with each other. And so this is, the, and they called them zoos and they sold hundreds of millions. They made hundreds of millions of dollars off of that. And so this is kind of what, this is what the zoo talks about. It talks about this relationship, talks about the experience and it talks about why they wanted to do that what their point and what their motivation was to do that. But it also, we talk about the light skin, dark skin thing that we often have in the black community, which was nothing, was never something that we ever were taught. It was something that was beat into us through the Willie Lynch letters in 1712 when Willie Lynch had come over to the United States and talked about how you break up the black community is that you pawn the light skin, dark people against the black skin, dark people, the young against the old, the men against the women. And so a lot of these different countries, these different men and women that were running these countries, they took these Willie Lynch letters and they just expounded upon those things. And so this, it talks all about all of those things. We kind of wrap it up in a nice little nutshell and try to make it as palpable as we possibly can um, for people watching it. But hopefully that they'll also look at it and go, there's no way this happened. And hopefully they'll Google it and they'll be like, oh my gosh, this happened. And that's the part of our education that we're really looking forward to the most. That sounds like it, it was an intense experience, not only to write, but to direct and, and <laughs> be on set. I'm sure that's an understatement. What Was it hard to get through? Did you have, how did you, uh, you, how know, did you separate a, yourself <laughs> at the end of the day? You know, it for me, it's this is you know a lot of this information I've known since 2012, and so you know really uh, what it was that you know when we were you know putting this team together for Truth Be Told, and they were talking about you know let's make this thing a short film, and you know Denim, you should direct it, and I was like I don't think I want to do that, you know, and they're like you know why not, and I was like I'm so close to this thing, and I've seen it, and I've lived it, and I've been in it for at that point eight years. And I was just like, I like it because it would get to the point where after writing it and then once I brought another writer on board with me that I couldn't even look at the rewrites anymore because I just got I, I just couldn't emotionally go down the journey again, especially when we were writing the feature, you know, and you're, re you know, reading 100 plus pages. Yeah. It's just like it's killer. But what the beauty of it was that, you know, 
we, uh, the way that I kind of looked at everything was like, this was something that was bestowed upon me by the most high, that it was something where it was like our ancestors didn't endure all the things that they endured so that their story couldn't be told. And if I was ever given an opportunity to be in a position to tell these stories, then I have to do that. And so it can't be a thing of like, oh my gosh, this is so hard for me to do it. It's like, nothing could be worse than what they had to endure, you know? And so if emotionally I have to endure this thing for a time, this is something that they had to live their entire lives in. Oftentimes their children were born into it. They lived and they died as slaves and didn't know anything different. And so for me, it became a thing where you really have to humble yourself in this way where it's like, it's not about you. It's about the story. And I can deal with me later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll deal with my emotional state afterwards. And so the beautiful thing was the, the cast and the crew that we got together, they just poured themselves into it. And the, the crew that didn't know anything about it, they went back and they're looking at things and they're just like, I cannot believe that, you know, they, you know, and a lot of them had gone to major universities and X, Y, and Z. They're like, how is it that we've never heard about this before? You know, and it's just like, yeah, like, I know, you know. And so what it was, it was beautiful to be able to see other people coming into this truth and being able to be there for them. Uh, because I didn't have anybody really for me when I was kind of coming into all this. It was just very overwhelming. And so for me to be able to kind of be there and they're like, man, did you know this? And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, like, you know, and yeah. so... Then getting into the film itself, it really just became a thing to where we're like, look, guys, like what we're doing is something that is far greater than us ourselves. Like this is something that we are we're telling the story of our ancestors. We're telling a story that needs to be told because so much of the same things that are happening um, in today's society and have happened in today's society are the same things that were happening then as well as the same things that were happening in 1619. And so, you know. Like it says in, uh, I think it's the wisdom of Solomon that there's nothing new under the sun. It's that's pretty much what it is. You know, like history repeats itself in those ways. And so it's kind of up to certain people to, you know, step outside of kind of life as it kind of rotates and look at it from the aspect of like, we have to teach it, we have to educate so that hopefully this next generation will understand the things that the people before them have endured. And so that we need to, we owe it a, a great debt of gratitude, but we also owe it to ourselves to also be better and more educated about our history and to never be ashamed of our history because, you know, look at what we were able to overcome and we'll look what we were able to endure. And, you know, here we are, you know, still, still kicking. Oh yeah. Now as a director, so, so just purely, on the craft side mm -hmm. while you're filming this, while you're doing all this, is there, is it like a walk in a tightrope between putting out the story that you want and also keeping in mind that there's going to be an audience watching this and, and you don't want them to check out. You don't want them to, <laughs> to be like, Oh my God, I, I don't know if I can see this anymore. Right. If it's too, yeah. You know, and I think the funny thing is great question. I think, the, the interesting thing with that is, you know, you, I think you, there is a, a tightrope that you walk because I think, but that, again, this, this goes back to this, the seed time and harvest thing. I think that if I had done this film in 2014 or 2015, or maybe even 2016, I think that I would have been so amped up to educate everybody that I would have just over poured, right? Like, you're just like, you're so yeah. desperate to show everybody like it's this and this. And then every single moment is just pounded and pounded um and even though it's true 
you know, oftentimes people don't want to listen to the guy that's sitting on the corner with a megaphone, right? They're just like, yeah. they, even though what he's saying is tr- correct, they only hear one thing and it's loud. And so you have to do it. And so I think, again, for me, it was like a, a journey of like, you have to not only as a man grow spiritually, but you have to just grow in patience and you have to understand that it's just one bite at a time. And so we kind of, as we were cultivating this script, we're just like, okay, like, you know, let's take this out here and let's take that out here or let's lighten it up a little bit in this moment. Not because we want to take away from it, but like you said, because I don't want the audience's eyes to be closed the entire time. It's not a soundtrack, right? So it's a thing where you want them to be able to be engaged and, but also be able to be in it. You want it to be intense, but you also don't want it to be, I'm constantly closing my eyes because I'm uncomfortable. Then we've missed the mark altogether. And so I think as a director from that standpoint, the way that we cultivated the script and the way that we kind of planned everything out, we really kind of have that in mind because even for us, like, you know, our first drafts of writing the feature film, you know, it was like, this is so, this is so hard. Like, this is just, it's dense and it is like, you're just in it and there's not a light moment from the, like the lightest moment that you would, you know, have watching this movie is when you're sitting down to get your popcorn. You know, and then the, the second lightest moment is then when the movie's over. Uh, and so it's like, you know, that can be something for some people. But I also wanted to be something where it was like, look, like you create something at every single level. Like I said, you create one for entertainment, one for education, one for edifying or for edification. And I think that when you do that, you say, look, there's something for everybody in the film. And it really just depends on what you decide to bring to the movie. If you decide that you want it that you want it to be something where you're open, you're going to be able to get all of the movie. If you want it, if you're just going because you want to see something different, then you'll get entertained. And so we really did it for that. And then for the other people, they're just like, oh, I just, you know, didn't wasn't really for me. Well, then that's the correct answer. It wasn't for you. Right. Like, so it really is one of those things where you do walk that tightrope, but you also have to be very um, cognizant of the fact that, yes, there's so much that has gone on, but you still have to tell a story. Right. And within that story, there has to be that the different forms of humanity. It just can't be dread from the every single second of the film. Otherwise, everyone does check out. So you're a driven guy. You have a lot of uh, pants in the fire right now. What do you do to just kind of unwind? What do you do to take a break? Because that's important. Um, I, <laughs> you, you can't keep going, man. It, it, no, it, it is. It's a very thing. I mean, I read a lot of scripture. I spend a lot of time in the word. And that's very, it keeps me very centered. It keeps me very focused, especially in a kind of a world that's very easy to kind of get lost in, if you will. And so that's something that it's my meditation time, but it's also that opportunity to have things poured into me. And, you know, and then other times I, I really kind of just sit and I'm just very still, like I'll just sit outside and, you know, I have my, I have my dog with me and, you know, I just, I like to be, I like to be in silence often because I enjoy kind of working through my own thoughts and working through next moves and things like that. And I think what it is that even though, you know, even though there's a, I have a lot going on, if you will, I'm not burnt out because I think that I have found a great kind of medium of not having to turn the mode on at a hundred all the time. Right. It's like, it's almost like if you're uh, to use a sports analogy, it's like if you're in the NBA finals, you've played, you know, 90 plus games already. Now you're in the finals. You know, you realize that it's probably going to be a seven game series. Let's not pour it all out game one, right? Like, let's not, like, we're going to, we're still going to compete, 
but I'm not going to die on this court today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and so, you know, and so I think it becomes one of those where you really emotionally have to strategically place yourself because the whole goal is to endure until the end, right? It's a marathon, not a race. And so for me, it's about being able to endure until the end. And what good are you if you burn out so early with all of these other things that you wanted to accomplish, but because you just couldn't take your foot off the gas pedal, um, now all of a sudden, now look where you are. You have nothing. And so that's kind of what I do. It's what I appreciate. It's what I love. And it, it keeps me very quiet and very centered. But then it also gives me a tremendous amount of energy because then when I do need to turn it on, it's all there. And it's where I need it to be and it's focused. And I very rarely then walk away from something feeling like I didn't give everything that I could to it. That's amazing, man. So I, I understand that you also do some charity work. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, the, I think the, the biggest thing, so one of the biggest charities that I work with is Operation Underground Railroad. And that's a phenomenal or, organization that is dedicated to infiltrating and stopping child sex trafficking, human uh, sex trafficking, and tra- trafficking in general. And, uh, you know, I've always been a very big uh, proponent on protecting, you know, the youth and the children because, you know, they look to the adults and people that have a voice to be their voice. And uh, unfortunately, I think we have like, you know, 800,000, you know, kids go missing every single year. It's a lot of kids that go missing every single year and they don't fall into a black hole. And, uh, you know, and it's something that I've been very passionate about for a while. And uh, I've had the opportunity to start to partner with these different organizations and be able to just, you know, the hard part and the hard part with this is like, you know, so so many people don't like to talk about sex trafficking and child sex trafficking because it, it kind of, it, it brings this, it, it peels this veil off of like the life being so great and the world being awesome all the time. But it's like, yeah, I don't want to thing. believe like, it, it exists. Right, right. And the sad part about it is like, I also understand that, but it doesn't, even if you say you don't want it to exist, doesn't take away from the fact that it does yeah. exist. Right. And so it's like, these children are still going through that, whether or not you want to acknowledge the fact that it's happening to them or not. Um, and so one of the things that I wanted to do was like, you know, Whenever I would, was given an opportunity or a platform, I wanted to use my platform to be able to kind of bring awareness, but not just to bring awareness, to actually talk about what it actually is. I think we get, I think we can get very caught up in, the, it, it becomes kind of idol worship, if you will, where you know people get so excited because somebody that they watch on television or see an athlete talk about something and then it, it oh, they look at them. Like, I'm not anybody when we're doing, like, I, I'm just a vessel. I'm just a servant that's trying to, you know, bring awareness to seeing things that are so big. Like when you don't protect your children, what kind of world do you have? And so this is one of the the organizations that's very, you know, I'm very fond of. And I really respect these men that have given up their lives to traveling around the world and, you know, saving these children, saving these little kids, these little girls, these little boys, as well as these other, you know, young adults that have been trafficked and, and, you know, stolen from, you know, from their lands. And a lot of them, you know, during natural disasters, when they're all displaced from their families and sometimes their family has died or, like I said, just displaced, they're then taken and trafficked to another country, right? And nobody ever hears from them again. And what a lot of people don't know is that, you know, sex trafficking is the big, one of the biggest businesses in the world because it's the only business that you can use the product over and over and over again. And it's a very sad thing, but it's real. And I think that if more people kind of had education, I think that would help them 
identify certain things in today's society that don't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, but then also give an opportunity to also be able to have this different conversation with your children, that kind of like, you know, see something, say something type of thing as well. So that's kind of what Operation Underground is. I think everyone could go to Operation Underground Railroad or ourrescue.org and they can find out more information because it really is such a phenomenal organization. But even more so, I think that's a conversation that we should be having, I think, uh, a little bit more of a focused conversation, I guess, if you were for lack of, letter, be, lack of better words, because I think that so many people don't want to believe it, like you said, but also you, you have to get over that, like, and you have to just accept what it is and, you know, do whatever we can to kind of bring awareness, but then to also bring these people to justice, but then also, you know, really hold the feet to the fire of our politicians, as well as our local and city officials to really not just pay lip service, but actually to go out and do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's man. It's terrifying. There was a case not half a mile from me, not long ago where we live right by a, an inter, the interstate that goes from uh, Memphis to Atlanta. So we're kind of mm. in between mm-hmm. and they started following this van. The van ended up getting off the interstate and going right by uh, my house. Oh man. And they ended up pursuing the guy that got, him, but they had a, a young lady in the car with, in the van with him. Oh man. And it, it was, it was nuts. It really brought, you hear about stuff like that. You never think about right. it being like in your community or, or near right. your house. And it's terrifying. Right. It, it makes it very proximate, right? Like it's like now it's something that you don't just read in the local newspaper or on television. It's something that it's like, no, that was like right down the street. And, you know, and that's in, in so many of these other countries, that's the reality for them. But also here in America, you know, and I think that's the thing where, you know, because there's there are so many children that are displaced and there's so many children that are kind of unprotected, you know, it really is a very sad thing. But I do think that, you know, it's, you kind of get to the point where it's, I've been a big thing where it's like, you know, people like to play that, you know, political tennis all the time, but it's like, you know, saving children um, from, you know, sex trafficking and from human trafficking in general should not be a political issue. And if it's a political issue, then you kind of know that you're not on the right side of history. Right. Like it's, it shouldn't be something that you're like, we have to debate about this, you know, and unfortunately, uh, oftentimes so much of it is just a lip service. But that's why I think that, you know, if we can bring a little bit more awareness and kind of at least support them, um, like these different organizations who are actually actively going out and doing things, I think that, you know, pouring in resources with them, even if people don't want to go and, you know, you know, blow up politicians phones or their sheriffs or the local, you know, even if they don't want to do that, at least a dollar here, $10 here, at least pour in to the organizations that are actively going out and doing those things, at least moves the needle forward instead of just being like, I just don't want to do anything because I don't want to believe it exists. Denim, thank you very much for doing all that. It's it's not something you hear about often unless it's on the news. And I'm really glad that people like you are out there trying to do something about it. And we're going to put a link to Operation Underground Railroad in the show notes and uh, so, you know, when anyone listens to this episode, they'll be able to pull that up, get right to the website. Do you have anything else that you want to to talk about? I don't want to take too much of your time up. I'm sure you're exhausted at, at the end of the day, man. 
Oh no, I mean, you know, I'm just I always I always love being able to come on and, and talk about the waterfront. I've always liked to be, you know, kind of an open book. I think it's really it's always interesting to be able to not only talk about just, you know, the acting of everything, but you get to talk about other things as well because I think it's like like my pops always says, like my who is not my do and vice versa. Meaning like, you know, what I do is not necessarily who I am and who I am is not what I do. And so kind of being able to, you know, get outside of that acting mode and talk about other things that are far more important, in my opinion, it's, it's always great to be able to do that. Because I think that is, you know, that's what I feel like one of the biggest things I've been put on this earth to do, you know, been, you know, you're given talents, you're given abilities to do things, to everyone in their own unique way. But it's also like, what seeds are you going to sow? What righteous seeds do you want to sow with those talents? And I think that any time that we can kind of step outside and talk about larger issues that really focus on, you know, things and people that don't have people speaking up for them, I, I feel like that's a that's an opportunity. So I, I appreciate being able to be on here and be able to have a conversation and really cover a, a wealth of topics. Then th- thank you again. Anytime you want to come on, by all means, give us a shout. We'd love to have you back because you really I've had a blast talking to you, man. So oh, thank you. Good luck with your training uh, and all the stuff for the the upcoming season. I've been enjoying the hell out of the show, and <laughs> I know a ton of other people are as well. So I can't wait to get this up so people can kind of he- hear about one one of their favorite dudes from the show. So oh, so thank you. thank you again, man. Thank you, and I, I look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you. All right, all right same to you, man. We are back. Makes me want to watch Yellowstone. Dude, you should watch Yellowstone. I've watched a couple episodes. It's pretty good. It's yeah. a lot of fun. I like Kevin Costner. I need to put up my freaking pads in my room because as I said, welcome back. All I heard was an echo. Oh, well, I didn't so I apologize it, so. for people out there. Maybe it wasn't so bad as you think. Maybe not. Maybe not. No, but Denim uh, seemed like a really cool guy. And yeah. Yeah. I'm glad he came on. I hope we can get him on again because uh, obviously he's got a lot of talent and he just, I don't know. He just seems like he just seems like somebody you'd want to go and hang out with. Yeah, man, and he's he's pretty new in his career. He's he's been doing this. I mean, by new, I mean he's been doing this for about a decade or so uh, of <laughs> professionally acting, which is not very so, new, I guess. So but new in his career, he's like just well, a decade. I mean, he he he's getting into bigger and better things. But I was trying to say he's getting into the be- bigger stuff nowadays. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to. It, it was a weird way of giving him a compliment, people have finished high school and finished college in that time. <laughs> This is this is true, but I'm just saying. I mean, people could have got their masters and their doctorate in a decade. Uh, yeah, people probably got married and divorced in that time frame too. Oh, definitely. So. <laughs> oh man, that's Thanks hilarious. Thanks for making me sound like an asshole. I appreciate it. Oh, Denim, I don't have to great. make you sound like an asshole. You do that just fine. Uh, well, you got to point it out though. <laughs> well, that's my job. I don't pay you. You don't pay yourself. We don't. The floor doesn't pay you to do that. Hey, man, I get a talk during all the interviews, and you've been talking a lot during all these intros, outros. So I got to. I got I gotta, to. I got to get a little jab, jab in there from time to time. <laughs> Look, if I don't talk in the intro, outros, people are gonna forget what my voice sounds like. Well, they can only hope. <laughs> right. I. I know. I don't know why I talk. Nobody wants to hear me. Anyways, get back to editing, John. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. No, terrible. but uh, what were you gonna say? I'm sorry. I have no idea. No, see, because it wasn't important. It probably wasn't important. I was going to say thank you, Denim, for coming on. Really appreciate that. As you've yeah. already said like three times now, we keep saying thank you, but still, thank you. 
Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on. That was awesome. I think that's it, man. Casey. No, no, no. Real quick. Casey has grown leaps and bounds in his interviewing. Have you noticed? Oh, yeah, man. The dude's the dude's solid. He's, he's gotten, solid. It, it's crazy because Casey's been doing interviews with us for a little over a year, and then Jeff's been doing it for about a year now. Both of them have gone from, as you always do with every doing interviews, you're nervous yep. and, and, and whatever, to full confidence and just get in and get it done, ask the questions, and have fun with it. Yep. 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 Have fun. That's, that's the important thing. Even when you don't want to do it, if you do the research yeah. and you get to know somebody, then uh, you're almost always good. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? I agree. You just got to make sure that you take your time to do the research. Do the research and, 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 and you know, make sure you make it a little bit personal because people well, like that. I, I mean, yeah. You know. I, th- I think what it comes down to is respect the person's time yep. and be thankful that they're there to talk with you. And so, and yep. by doing that is one, be genuinely interested in what they're talking about doing the research so you're not asking stupid questions yep. and having a good time with it because if you have a good time inevitably they're going to have a good time unless they're just oh, having a bad day and then you can always reschedule exactly and it's yeah I, I, I agree with everything you just said and Casey's is every time I do edit one of his interviews he gets better on his ums and uhs um, which I, I do <laughs> spend time cutting all those out for everybody so you can hear uh, them for, for days but I can tell you one of the worst ones I ever did for his ums and us. Not that the interview was bad. The interview was great. But Casey's Southern and he talks slow and he seems to have uhs and ums a lot. But there was one of them where I cut all the uhs and ums out and just his uhs and ums was like five minutes of the episode. (laughs) And that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. Oh my God. That's hilarious. All right, guys. I think that's a show. That's a show. I really hope you enjoyed that. If you enjoyed uh, listening to Denim Richards on Spoiler Country, then go to spoilerverse.com and look up Spoiler Country there. That's where we host all of our podcast uh, episodes, along with all the other podcatchers, the iTunes, the Google Play, all Spotify, all that stuff. We're all there. But if you want to go and check out all our back issues and all that we have going on for articles, head over there and check it out. Yeah, and when you do that, uh, you know, go to that store link because it's right there in the middle. Click on store, go to our store, get a t-shirt or a hoodie or a face mask or a tapestry for your wall or a, a mouse pad or whatever. Look fly a cell, buy some stickers and go smack them on some stop signs or smack them on some. Uh, don't put them on the windows of businesses because that's vandalism and we don't want to get caught off that. But stop signs are fine. Nobody cares about that. Do that. And we get a couple dollars out of that. I and mean, it helps us support the site here. It helps us, uh, you know, do what we're doing for you because... It's a lot of fun. We want to keep doing it. And the only way we can keep doing it is with, with your support. Yep. That's right. All right. There's only one left. One last thing left. What's that? Anderson's a podcast. We are the thing. Don't look at you to do. Open the mind and read. <laughs>